The following audio is from Potomac Heights Baptist Church, located in Indian Head, Maryland. More information about Potomac Heights Baptist Church is available at www.phbc.com. Potomac Heights Baptist Church exists to glorify God and to make Christ known to the ends of the world by helping one another become more like Jesus. It is our hope that you will prayerfully listen to this sermon audio. Obadiah is where we're going to be today. Um, Obadiah is the fourth of the minor prophets. It is right after Amos and right before Jonah. Um, There is no shame if you want to go to your table of contents first. I did. Um, And so it is, uh, Obadiah is a unique book uh, in the Old Testament. It is the, uh, the shortest book of the Old Testament. Uh, it's, it's one of the, the book of the 12 prophets or the minor prophets. They're minor, not because they're any less important or inspired by God. They're just shorter than, you know, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Obadiah is the shortest of them all. It's also a really timely book for us, uh, because it is written about the same things that Lamentations was written about. And so, uh, if you were with us back in the fall, we spent about a month in Lamentations going through that. Uh, Lamentations recounts uh, God's people being overthrown by Babylon, getting taken into exile to Babylon in uh, 586 B.C. Um, That event was absolutely devastating for the people, and so Lamentations recounts their sorrow. Uh, But their sorrow, it it wasn't only caused by Babylon. Um, Here's what Lamentations 4 says. 21 to 22 says, Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. But to you also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. But your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish. He will uncover your sins. So you see, Edom was one of Israel's neighbors. Uh, It was to the southeast, and Edom actually aided Babylon in taking over Jerusalem and Judah, which were the sins that Lamentations mentioned there in in chapter 4, verse 22. Um, But beyond just being neighbors, Edom and Israel actually shared a lineage. So you start with Abraham, and then you get Isaac, and Isaac had twins, Jacob and Esau. And and from Jacob, we get the people of God, uh, Israel, and then from Esau, we get the nation of Edom. Now, to that point, Esau, Edom, Jacob, Israel, when we read this book together today, there's going to be a, a number of different names, and they're all referring to the same thing. So whenever you see Mount Esau or Esau or Teman, that's all Edom, the nation of Edom. And, and if, you, if you ever see Jacob or Joseph, uh, Mount Zion, that's all the people of God of Judah. Um, so just clear that up. So these, these two nations were, were brothers, which makes what Edom did against them all the more horrible. And so it's in this context that Obadiah shows up and he has a word from God directly to the people of Edom in light of what they've done. And so I want to try to summarize both this book and our time together uh, with this statement. God will judge those who are against him and redeem those who are for him. So if you'd pray with me, we'll then dive into the book of Obadiah. God, what a blessing it is to be able to gather here even people across the county, across the region, joining us to open your word together, God. I am thankful for the privilege, and I ask that you would move as we now seek to better understand you and what you would have us to do with our lives. 
God, make us more like Jesus through our time together. Bless the reading of your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if, if plunderers came by the night, how you have been destroyed, would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau, and those of the Sh uh, Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim, the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of the host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Shepherod shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to divide this book into three sections this morning, beginning with the judgment of Edom. The first two-thirds of this book directly address Edom. We'll see later on other nations and even God's people themselves brought in, but for now it's, it's all about Edom and, and specifically about what God is going to do to them. We'll, we'll see this in three parts, what God will do, how he'll do it, and then why he'll do it. So let's start verses 1 to 4 with what God will do. Look at verse 1 with me, if you would. 
the vision of Obadiah. So what does God say? What does God show Obadiah? Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. So God is going to reduce Edom down to nothing. And he's going to use the nations to do so, which is a good reminder for us that God is not simply the God of his people, not just the God of Israel. He is the God of all nations. He is sovereign over everyone. And here he is calling the nations to rise up against Edom and bring them down which is how he finishes the section at the end of verse 4. But before we get that, we get a a bit of a recap of who Edom is, what they were like. We see in verse 3, The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say with your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. So to understand this, uh, where Edom was, it was super mountainous. And uh, some of their cities were actually about the same level as Denver. So they were in a very mountainous area, and they used that to their advantage. It's, it's always harder to fight uphill than down. So they, uh, they thought pretty highly of themselves. They, they thought that they were uh, quite great. We soar like the eagles. Our nest is even among the stars, they would say. And yet, God is still going to bring them down. He is not limited by their height or stature. His hand guides all the nations, and he will judge them, which I want to make sure we are aware of today as well. None of us are ever out of the reach of God, which is great news for the discouraged or depressed among us. No matter what you are going through, God can reach you. He can act. He can rescue you. You are not too far from God's hand. But for those who are more like Edom, then don't ever think that you are untouchable when it comes to God. No matter how much money you have in your bank, how healthy you are, there is no one God cannot reach. And so for Edom, that meant that despite their great heights, God was still going to judge them. But how? Well, verses 5 to 9 show us how God will do it. If you would read with me, If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed, would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. The contrast he's trying to make here is is this. He's like, look, if if a robber comes to your house, they're not going to take every single thing you own. They're just going to take what they want. They're going to leave other stuff behind. And if, you know, you've got grape gatherers coming through, they're not going to pick every single grape. They're going to leave some grapes for gleaners. But that's not going to happen to you, Edom. God is going to thoroughly, comprehensively, totally destroy you. And how is he going to do it? Well, he's going to do it from the inside. Verse 7, all your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. So allies, those who are at peace, those who eat bread, all of this speaks to friends, to to close people, to, to those with whom you have intimacy. And yet those are the ones who are going to turn on Edom. So it's going to come from the inside, but, but not just kind of the inner circle of friends, from actually the nation themselves. Verses 8 and 9 show that even the wise and mightiest men of Edom are going to fail. 
In the end, every man from Mount Esau, again, remember, that's just another word for Edom, every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. This is a severe punishment that God is preparing for the people of Edom. At first glance, it may seem overly harsh, but any such thoughts will fade away once we understand why God will do it. So we saw what God's going to do, how God's going to do it. Here's why God is going to do it, starting with verse 10. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. Again, we see this comprehensive nature of God's judgment on Edom, but we also see the why. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob. So they were not just violent people, they were violent against their own brother. I think many of us here are familiar with the Lion King. What, what makes scars? Yeah, oh, there we go. What makes scars' treachery so horrific was that it was done against his own brother Mufasa. You remember the scene in the gorge? Mufasa has just valiantly saved Simba from the stampede, and he's trying to climb his way back out. And he sees Scar, so he calls out to him, "Brother, help me!" To which Scar replies, "Long live the king!" And you know what happens next. A far more significant example, also a real one, is all the way back in Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel, right? Cain is jealous of his brother's acceptance by God of his sacrifice, and so he takes him out into a field and kills him. And then when God asks where his brother is, he has the audacity to say, "Uh, never a good thing to say to God. Uh, uh, Am I my brother's keeper? Violence against one's own brother is devastating. So I want to take this opportunity to remind us here, those who are in Christ, who have trusted on him for salvation, we are brothers and sisters with one another. So we must all be aware of the potential crushing impact we can have on one another if we are not careful. A hurtful word, an uncaring action, a bit of gossip would all fall under this category. Jesus commands us in John 13, 35, love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another by this. All people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, Edom clearly did not love Jacob. Well, and as verse 11 tells us when Babylon came to Jerusalem, carried off their, the people of God and their wealth, Edom stood aloof, but they didn't just stand aloof. Verses 12 to 14 gives us an interesting phrasing of what they did. We have seven statements. Do not blank in the day of his blank. Seven times. But what's fascinating is that all of these things have already happened. Verse 12, Edom already had gloated over the day of their brother in the day of his misfortune. Already had rejoiced in the day of his ruin, boasted in the day of his distress. And so what Obadiah is doing is he's issuing warnings in the future tense as a way of calling them to turn from what they had been doing, to to turn from the actions that had brought about the wrath of God. They are to stop, to repent before it's too late. You can read through the, the violence Edom committed against Jacob is terrible. Going so far in verse 14, that they, w- they would actually capture people of God who had escaped from Babylon, who had managed to, to run away and hide out. The Edomites would go and, and capture them and take them back to Babylon 
for a bit of a reward. This is why God is going to judge the people of Edom. Now, there is so much in these verses. God's sovereignty over the nations, his love for his people, justice against evil and wrongdoing, the certainty of his word. I mean, did this come to be? Well, yeah, absolutely this came to be. Do you have any Edomite friends? Been to the local Edomite restaurant anytime lately? It, no, God has wiped out the nation of Edom. His word is true. But Obadiah doesn't just stop there. He, he's going to take the nation of Edom and he's going to use them as a model, a, a, an example, a, a warning to all nations who act like it did. We see this in verses 15 and 16 very clearly where we'll turn to our second point, the day of the Lord. Let's read verses 15 and 16. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deed shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. So the day of the Lord is a major feature, not just here in Obadiah, but in Scripture as a whole. So I'll take a minute to unpack it. Uh, Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord was when God will pour out his judgment on those who are against him. So it's it's not necessarily a specific day like, oh, yes, Tuesday the 7th. No, it is when God issues his judgment. And, And throughout the prophets, it is used as a warning to all who are against God, even his own people, when they break his covenant and sin against him. And so, yes, there, there are elements of kind of the final day. That's a part of it. But it also ref- refers to just when God judges those against him, which is exactly what our passage uses it to communicate. As you've done, it will be done to you. And then 16 builds on it to just show the weight of the day of the Lord. Edom drank on God's holy mountain which is to say, while Jerusalem was in flames, the Edomites were getting drunk on stolen wine, sitting around doing nothing. So God tells them, and then all nations who are like them, just as you got drunk on my mountain, you are going to drink again. On the day of the Lord, there will be another cup for you to drink, the cup of God's wrath. Now, this language of drinking God's wrath is is very common in Scripture, especially in the prophets. We see it in Job 21, Isaiah 51, Jeremiah 25, and many more. All use this language of drinking the cup of God's wrath. And it's used to show, to make the connection, hey, in the same way that you were drinking to excess on my holy mountain, when you should have been helping your brother, you will drink and swallow the cup of God's wrath and shall be as though they had never been. This is the darkest point in this book. This is the heaviest point. Not not only to Edom, but to all nations. All people who are against God will face his judgment. They will drink his wrath on the day of the Lord, which means we will have to face that day too. And I don't know about you, but if I'm looking at myself, I'm not liking what's going to await me then. Sure, I've, I've never helped an evil nation conquer my brother and then sell him into slavery for profit, but I do see far more of myself in Edom than I'd cared to admit. We saw that Edom was prideful, claiming to soar like an eagle. Well, I, I, I struggle with pride. Edom was incredibly self-reliant, trusting in their allies, their own understanding, their own wise and mighty men. Well, I'm 
I can be overly self-reliant. They sinned against their brother both by what they did and by what they didn't do. They looted his wealth, cut off his fugitives, handed over his survivors. Well, I know I do what I ought not to do. But, but Edom also didn't do what they were supposed to. They were supposed to help their brother. Because you see, sin, sin can either be by, by commission, by what we do, and by omission, what we don't do. James 4.17 puts it this way, Whoever knows the right thing to do, and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So certainly for me, and, and I, I think if we're being honest for, for you as well, there, there is a lot of overlap between us and Edom. Which means when the day of the Lord comes for us, and it will, we have no more reason to hope than they did. Apart from one crucial thing, or should I say person, Jesus. You see, in the New Testament, our New Testament authors, they, they knew their Old Testaments, their Bibles, really well. And so they saw this day of the Lord and connected it to Jesus. They recognized that Jesus initiated the day of the Lord and that it would be fully realized when he returned. Here's how Paul puts it in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2. You are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains. They will not escape. These Familiar themes for the day of the Lord, but, but here's where it gets real good. Verse 4. But you are not in darkness. You are all children of light. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. You see, Jesus spares us from the judgment, from the wrath of God, so that we might not have to fear the day of the Lord. And this is the only way out of that, because God, God is a God of justice. He's not wink at sin. He won't let our wrongdoing slide. Sin has consequences. And so Jesus stood in our place, having no sin of his own, mind you, and drank the cup of wrath that we deserve. He said to Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was being arrested, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? And so because Jesus took the wrath of God off of us and onto himself, he turned the day of the Lord from one of fearful judgment to one of joyful gratitude. And if we recognize that and respond to him, if we lay our lives down at his feet and say, please, Jesus, I, I want that. Take my sin. Save me from what I deserve, from what rightly awaits me. I want to live for you, not for myself. Well, if that's our heart response to Christ, then in the words of 1 Corinthians 1.8, he will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's because of God's grace and mercy in Jesus that we can be redeemed, saved, delivered, and spared from the judgment of God. But we're not the only recipients of God's redemption his people here in Obadiah were as well. So let's look at our final section, the redemption of God's people. Edom and all who were against God were to fear the day of the Lord. But look at verse 17. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. So whereas God is going to judge Edom, he's going to redeem. He's going to rescue and restore 
Jacob. Remember, they're in exile. They're in Babylon at this time of writing. But, but like Lamentations said in the passage that we read at the beginning, the punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, that's Judah, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. They will return to the promised land. They will regain their possessions. They'll be like a roaring fire compared to Edom's stubble where there will be no survivors. We know this is true well, because of the end of verse 18. For the Lord has spoken. And we've already seen the certainty of God's word against Edom. Again, no Edomite restaurants anywhere in the area. Why would we doubt the certainty of God's word for his people? Whether, whether here in Obadiah, because, well, we know that after 70 years, the people did come out of exile. They left Babylon, did come home. You can read Ezra and Nehemiah to see the joy that accompanied their return to the land. So then why might we doubt the certainty of God's word for us today? God is able to save. He has extended the offer of salvation to us. John 5, 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Colossians 1, 13, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you believe the word of God? Now again, it's Sunday morning, we're in church, so pump the brakes before you throw out the yes answer. And really, do you believe the word of God? One great way to grow in your reliance on God's word is simply to spend time reading it. We are less than a week away from 2021, and so I want to throw out an encouragement to you to consider a Bible reading plan for next year. You don't have to read through the whole of Scripture in a year. You can. That's a great and, and surprisingly reachable goal. But commit to something. One chapter a day, five minutes a day, will bear great spiritual fruit. There are countless reading plans available at the touch of a button. Take time to consider how you might spend time. Prioritize spending time in the Word of God in 2021. It is true. You can count on it, and it will be of great benefit for us all. So the people of God will return to the land, and not just the land that they had before. Their land is actually going to expand. Verses 19 and 20 speak to this and show that in every direction, their land is going to expand. Uh, Negev and Esau to the south, the Philistines to the west, Gilead in the east, Zarephath in the north. In every direction, those who very recently had no land, who were exiles, slaves in a foreign nation, would return home and possess cities stretching out in every direction. And then this book is ending on just a wonderful high note with this incredible news of hope. Verse 21, saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Now I don't want that first word to throw you because I know generally when it comes to scripture, when we think of savior, we think of one savior, capital S, but here we have multiple saviors. A uh, couple things this could mean. It's either those who have been saved, who have been delivered, well they're going to go from Zion to Esau and rule, or it, it could mean that God is going to raise up saviors or deliverers to fulfill his purposes. And this is not foreign to scripture. Uh, James 5, 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. 
Now, here, here in Obadiah, the, the saving isn't about individual sinners from their wandering. It's about a nation from judgment. Because now here's a super cool thing, or at least I think so. When those sent from God go to rule Mount Esau, the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Which means when that happens, Edom will no longer be a separate, foreign, judgment-bound nation under his just judgment. They will have been brought into his kingdom. They'll be brought into the kingdom of God as his people, the recipients of his redemption. The kingdom will be the Lord's. This is a wonderfully hopeful note to end on. In spite of everything God's people had been through, in spite of everything Edom had done, salvation, peace, and the reign of God awaits. Edom doesn't get the last word. God does. The people will not remain in exile forever. God will bring them into his kingdom. And so the final question for us is how? How will God bring about his kingdom? Well, Louisa already told us. Luke 1, 30 to 33, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus himself began his ministry proclaiming the same. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. See, apart from Jesus, we are all like Edom. We all deserve God's judgment. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. So again, not a little sinful, dead in our sin. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. So will you trust in Jesus? Will you live to glorify him and make him known? He is the one who saves us from the judgment of the day of the Lord. He is the one who ushers us into the kingdom of God. We who were once sorry, sin-stained beggars outside have been brought in as sons and daughters of the King. He's the one who was sent to our world, born of a virgin, who lived a perfect life, who died in our place for our sins, and who was raised to life, as we all will be if we would believe in him. So, days after we celebrated his birth, let us end our time today by thanking God for the wonderful gift of Jesus. Lord, you're good. We thank you for Savior, for our Savior, Jesus. We did not deserve it, and yet in your great love you sent him that we might not suffer the fate that we deserve. God, we see so much of ourselves in Edom. We have failed to act when we ought to have. We have acted when we should have not. We have put ourselves first, loved the things of this world more than we love you, God. We are sinners through and through. And yet, because of your grace, we can ask forgiveness, and you, can, you will grant it. God, keep these truths from becoming old hat to us. May this not just be another presentation of the gospel. May our hearts be warmed to the reality of your love and compassion for us, and at the same time, may our hearts break 
for the reality of your justice against those who are against you. God, we have so many in our lives who do not love you, who do not trust you, who want nothing to do with you. And so what awaits them on the day of the Lord is judgment. God, may we do whatever we can to point them to Christ, to show them that there is a better way, that there is life that is found in Christ. God, give us boldness. Give us faith. May we glorify you in all that we do. Father, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon audio from Potomac Heights Baptist Church. Please feel free to make copies of this audio to give to others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Potomac Heights Baptist Church.